time for Bump and Run, the podcast all about golf. Here are your hosts, Bob and Jamie. And welcome to another edition of Bump and Run. And here we are in uh, the middle of summer. Actually, just the start of the actual... It's not technically, yeah. It's actually the start of the summer, but it feels like the middle because it's like now getting in towards July, Canada Day weekend ahead. Woohoo! That's right, yes. And uh, we've got majors all over the place, major on the Champions Tour, major on the LPGA Tour. Um, just finished a major at the PGA Tour or the yeah. Men's Tour. So lots of majors. This is a major edition. Majors. It could be a major edition. Majors. And, um, Lee Majors. It's the Lee Majors edition. There we go. Uh, I am Run, Bob Weeks, and you are? Bump, Jamie Rydell. And this is uh, Bump and Run, of course. And um, so let's talk about the Women's PGA Championship, a major championship, which is a relatively new one. And it's interesting. I noticed they had like, it, it feels like more like a, a regular tour event because they have like a pro-am and they have that skills competition that they had with uh, mm-hmm. Phil Mickelson, but it is it will be a major. And here's the question I want to ask you. If Brooke Henderson hadn't won last her last start, what do you think the uh, the feeling would be like as she comes in to defend her first major championship? Um, I, I, I definitely think it helped. There's no question about that. Winning always sparks something as we've seen from the best men's players who go on these runs for six months. Um, but I still would have liked her chances. Um, she hit the ball well enough at the Meyer LPGA Classic to give us hope that she's turning a corner a bit, so to speak, even though the stats reveal that she's probably having a better statistical year than she did last year when she had a she had her multiple wins and multiple crazy top tens. Um, but I think I still would have liked her chances. The only thing I see that's different from this year and last year really is a little bit in her putting, and she's kind mm-hmm. of admitted that. I think she was like 44th in putting, and this year she's 88, so it's dropped off a little bit. It doesn't take much. And last week, or last start, I should say, was the only, first time in her last six that she's averaged under 30 putts around. Right. So, yeah. And it doesn't take much, right? One putt around that goes in opposed to staying out could make the difference. And she admitted to me that she's changed putters a few times. She's looking for something somewhere along the line to try and help her and so maybe when you get a few putts to go in that kind of helps the rest of your game because just through confidence alone exactly and she hits so many greens that you know it's the sergio syndrome right you hit so many greens that you're not going to make putts every green right if you're hitting 16 out of 18 greens the majority of the time you're going to two putt unless you're hitting it within five six feet every time unless you're proximity Um, that just doesn't happen no right right which they don't track on the LPGA Tour, but um, I will say the LPGA Tour stats are pretty uh, are pretty basic. Um, yes, and I understand because they don't have as many volunteers and things and 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 resources as the PGA Tour does. But it is can be a little frustrating when you're trying to figure it out. Right. But anyway, but I, I do I do think you know I if you go by what Bo Jackson said after she played with Bo Jackson and Greg Maddox um, in her pro am. And Bo Jackson said she didn't miss a fairway. You know, she was hitting it close, um, putting it well. She, it looked like she had played Olympia Fields before. Um, so if that's any indication of where her game's at, I just think, you know, she needed the springboard. Um, she had been struggling. She would admit that. Um, this win may just lead to more wins. And it's not to say she's going to defend her title because there's a lot of good pl- Obviously, the top 100 players in the world are there at the women's PGA, but uh, she's 
she's looking good, trending upwards. She said uh, she said to me when I saw her last week in Ottawa that she needed that win. She really needed that win, which is almost so kind of a I don't want to say a desperation statement, but it's a really like it's a relief. Like I think she was really getting frustrated that she wasn't able to put something together. Right, she's got it now. And um, so, what do you think of her uh, <laughs> smashing Phil Mickelson right in the face? Yeah, you got to give a little uh, little context on that, yeah. don't you? So they played a comp- <laughs> little competition with Phil Mickelson, who of course is a KPMG uh, sponsored athlete, and they put up a big panes of glass with uh, Lydia Ko and Stacy Lewis and Brooke, and they took turns knocking out the faces of the players on the glass, and the last one standing was the winner, and it was Phil. So she uh, she was trying to Brooke was trying to knock Phil out. It was just came down to Phil and her, and then Phil eventually eventually won it, but. Uh, that was kind of cool, and I thought it was. It, it puts in context how young she is when she said she met Bo Jackson walking into the clubhouse, and she said, "I had to. Uh, I saw him, and I said hi, and then I had to look up who he was." That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of funny. Uh, you forget that uh, Bo has been retired for a little while for us older um, individuals. Yeah, she she was like three, I think, when uh, he uh, stopped playing professional sports. And I thought uh, Bo put a funny. Uh, put a funny spin on he says uh i met her and her sister and her crazy dad who needs to cut back on the caffeine <laughs> it was kind of funny too uh all right let's move along here uh, jordan spieth wins the travelers and in what many people feel is um more exciting of a finish than the u.s open i can't can't deny that one of the more exciting finishes mm-hmm. we've seen all year and yeah. uh and it was pretty good where do you rate that celebration, and was it a little bit premature? Was it sort of Justin Leonardish because uh, Daniel Berger still had a putt? Yeah, I think the emotion, you don't expect to make those. Uh, at least most of us don't. Um, so when you do come up with a shot like that, you, it's, you know, when you know your playing partner has about as good of a chance as you do, which was not much of one. Actually, Jordan Spieth probably had a better shot at making that his shot than Daniel Berger did from across the green. Yeah, right. Um, so, you know, when you hit a shot like that, emotions get into you. And I like, I like that stuff. Like, we, we're not, we don't want robots out there anymore. No. Um, you know, I don't think it was excessive. I don't think it was premature. I think it was a genuine, raw emotion of a guy who just hit a great shot. And, and, and a potentially game win or a tournament winning shot. And, if you noticed in the slow replay afterwards, he he threw his wedge with his left hand. Uh, it got some pretty good pretty good distance with it, and then the rake throw by uh, Michael Greller as caddy was really good. Those mm-hmm. rakes are hard to throw because they're very top heavy, where the head is. <laughs> I've tried throwing them, and the top you know where the rake head is is where all the weight That's is. Right. It's not like a golf club, which is more or less not completely balanced, but there's a little more weight in the shaft than there is in the. Uh, in the rake, so kudos to Michael Greller for the throw on that one. That was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. The whole celebration was great. One of the best we've probably seen. And um, you know, I, li- I like when these guys give a little bit of emotion. It's no different than at the Ryder Cup when Rory and Patrick Reed had their had their exchange going. That's good. It's it's good to breathe some personality into golf sometimes. Any, any big uh, celebrations stand out in your mind? Um. Well, for awkwardness, Tiger's uh, chipping at uh, the Masters stands out to me all, all always because he he thought he hit it short so that he goes to his knees, but then it falls in, so he jumps and up. then he's re- he jumps up, and then they miss the high five, yeah, and then it just kept going. The the high five just kept going. It's almost like 
you know, it, it's like the 08 U.S. Open when Tiger sank that putt to force the to go to the playoff on the 72nd hole, and he did like, he did his little double fist pump. That was pretty good. Um, there's been a, there's been a few uh, missed high fives though. I remember Louis Oosthuizen had a missed high five, and I think Tom Lehman had a missed uh, body bump. They kind of went up like they were going to body bump, and then they kind of <laughs> just did something weird instead. There's a few a uh, few strange ones over the years. I like uh, you know who else? I like Miguel Anel Jimenez with the cha 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 every time when he, he sinks a hole yeah. in one or something like that. Yeah, that's good. And you know the other one that you know because uh, you know he's not the most high profile player, but Jeff Overton at the Ryder Cup, boom baby, when he hold out from that boom baby, that was pretty good. <laughs> and Bubba was more worked up. I think Bubba than, was. Yeah, than Overton was. That was pretty good. Um, the uh, we should also point out here we didn't mention this off the top, so here's an middle of the uh, podcast promo that we're going to be talking to Dr. Michael Herdson, who's the guy who designed Aaron Hills, and he's also done a redesign of Ottawa Hunt, which is going to host the CP Women's Open, so he gets two national championships on his courses this year, so that's that's pretty good. Uh, we're going to talk to him at the end of the podcast here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we do that, the other uh, kind of news that we haven't gotten to yet is the Phil and the Bones split. Um, yes. And when it first came out, you know, they both put out statements. They were both very very positive about it and said it was just time and there's a few things leaking out now that apparently you know there was a bit of an argument on the 17th hole at the players championship one day and there's a few things here and there where it, it I don't think it, they were arguing or they were mad at each other but it almost seems like they were kind of wearing on each other a bit and maybe it was mm-hmm. sort of like a, um, I don't know a partnership or something that it just maybe time to split yeah well and it's 25 years like that doesn't happen often um I don't know what the normal life expectancy is on a caddy player relationship, but you know it it it's rare. Their uh, their partnership was rare, I, I would say in in the golf world, and I would I was shocked because we saw him at the U.S. Open preparing as if Phil was coming, even though it was unlikely that he was going to come, and then for it to happen the next week where they're parting ways. Um, it was a little surprising, but clearly this was in the works. Yeah, um, probably for a while. Nobody knows for how long, but it was probably in the works for a while. Kind of said um, it. Kind of says now that they are they were thinking of making the U.S. Open the last event anyway. Right. So right, and you know, so now Phil Phil have his brother Tim uh, caddying for him for the rest of the year. Um, I don't know what Bones has right now, uh, but you know, some guy will hire him at some point because he's just yeah. too good of, he's just too good of a caddy he is you're right um it's just weird it's, it's going to be weird to see it'll be weird for a while to see phil without bones right beside him yeah because you know you know they discussed every there were just discussions probably more discussions than most player caddies uh they talked they talked over everything and it's just going to be. It's going to be different to see Phil without him, without Bones right beside. When you when you think of player and caddy relationships, which ones stand out for you? Anything that stands out? Like, I mean, I always think of Mike Weir and, and Brennan Little, Butchie, who's now with mm-hmm. Gary Woodland. Um, well, Tiger and Tiger and Stevie stand out because yeah, you, they were so. It was so prominent for so many years. All, um, all but one of the majors. Right. So it's um, you know even. You know, I could still remember Tiger and Fluff way back, right? Way back when, um, even Jim Furyk and Fluff is something that you just used to seeing. Yeah, I think um, Scott Vale and Brant Snedeker. Yeah, even uh, you know, it's 
it's just it's uh you know because Tiger and Steve Williams were so prominent because Tiger was so dominant and so good um, that's just something you get used to seeing yeah it's uh it's certainly uh, certainly along those lines anyway um there are some good relationships and there are some that don't go very far look at Lydia Ko she kind of changes them like she changes her underwear i mean it's like she yeah, goes through it pretty quickly doesn't she she does yeah it's been what seven caddies in her pro career something, something like that. that yeah it's uh um, they don't last it's, long. it's it's straight it's they don't last long that's probably more normal than anything but uh you know it's 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 just strange that a person that you know that's that good that prominent yeah of a player changes caddies all the time all right, before um, we go, uh, Aaron Hills, we're going to hear from Dr. Mike Hurdson here, an interview I did with Mike, Mike Hurdson up in Ottawa, and we talk a little bit about Aaron Hills. What was your take uh, on the golf course and the U.S. Open? You know, I, I don't think we got to see its full test because of how soft it was and the rain. Um, I just think if it would have played a little firmer and faster, I would have enjoyed seeing that to see how the players would have struggled some players already did struggle but there were record number under par um you know it is wide open it was like it really and it was a par 72 so let's not forget that most u.s opens are 70 so when you're starting to talk about under par you know it's uh there's always that part uh, caveat you have to throw in there as well right and I, i i think they were you know they didn't get the wind there was no there was no wind for three days right and you have fairways that wide with no wind and greens that are holding, it's, this is going to happen. I think so. And, and, yeah, you know what? It's not that it wasn't a hard course or there wasn't difficulties to the course. If you hit it in that rough, it was really hard to get out of. If you hit it into certain places in some of those bunkers, it was almost impossible to get out, out of, as we witnessed Adam Hadwin having to hit away from the hole. Yeah. Um, uh, one t- a bunch of guys having trouble getting out of bunkers, but if you were on your game, like Brooks Kepka was, it it really was kind of a walk in the park, for lack of a better term, because you could just bomb it down there, not really worry about hitting it into the rough because you were you knew where your ball was going. And and, um, and Mike Hurdson actually makes a comment about which I thought was unusual for an architect, but just sort of he didn't really understand how far these guys could hit it, and you can't right. you can't design a golf course for one week a year or one week a decade as the, no, as the no, U.S. Open thing not. was. So you have to kind of play it by uh, by the the down to the lowest common denominator, as it were. But, I mean, I was surprised, too, when guys were hitting that par 5, 18th and 2. Six, yeah, I agree. 673. Uh, 673, pretty much uphill, too. Yeah. Um, you know, the one day when Justin Thomas Eagle did, it was pointing downwind. Um so that helped, but these guys really do hit the ball far, and they carry the ball far. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but you know, again, like everybody thinks that you have to, it's got to be set up for a bombers. You know, you got to set up for the bombers. But you know, there are courses like Colonial, um, like the Travelers, like which was twelve under par, and Jordan Spieth played the final round. I believe is even or one over to win. So these smaller courses. Are still challenging for these players. Sometimes they're and, sometimes they're more challenging, right? Because you have to kind of shape your ball. You can't just hit it down there and hope. Um, you know, I think they will get Aaron Hills will get another U.S. Open because I really don't think they saw the full test of what it could be. I agree. Um, I agree. And you know, the, it didn't rain during the day a lot. It rained at night, but it rained over at night, and so 
you know, the guys the guys were just able to go at flags. And if you were in those fairways, which it was pretty easy to hit, um, I'd like to see them sh- maybe for the next one, maybe thin out those fairways a bit and then see what happens. You don't have to bring the fescue in with it. Keep the fescue where it is. But maybe just, maybe the landing areas need to be a little bit smaller if they want to get a, a truer test. Could be. But it is long. It is long. But if it was playing firm and fast and the fairways were rolling out, it would have been interesting to see... Um, you know, just what the score might have been. Yeah, could have been because I think we all thought it would have been about four under. I think four to six under. I think if it, if it had yeah. the conditions they were hoping for, but you never can count on those. But no. All right, uh, we're going to go right now to that interview with Dr. Mike Hurton. Here it is. He also talks about the Ottawa Hunt Club and he talks about the state state of uh, golf course design and construction in North America. How it's uh, you know it's there's not a lot of new courses being built around the world right now, which uh, more closing up than, than being built. Uh, right. So that's it for this edition of Bump and Run. And uh, until next time, I'm, I'm Run. And I'm Bump. I enjoy the interview. So, Mike Hurton, we're coming off a of U.S. Open, and it's got to be a crowning achievement, I think, for uh, an architect to have a, a major plate on your course. How did it feel? Oh, it felt absolutely wonderful. There was, I mean, you'd have to describe it almost as surreal. And uh, I was fortunate enough to have inside the rope badge, like you media guys get, and to be able to walk within eight or ten yards of the greatest players in the world and see them play the golf course was absolutely fabulous. And the golf course played exactly like we wanted it to. So I was just going to, sort of that would be my next question, is when you see a course and you envision it and, and you envision the best players in the world coming, did it, it met your expectations then? Well, it did, but I had, honestly, I didn't realize how hard and how far these guys can hit it. Now, I really thought a 675-yard par 5 with a double, little bit of a double dog leg in it that nobody would get home into. But, you know, we saw uh, both uh, Harmon and, uh, and uh, uh, Kepka. Kepka be able to get home into and make eagles. Uh, so, you know, I'm happy for them. Uh, but, yeah, the only thing I didn't realize is just how hard and how far those guys hit the ball. Now the golf course had a lot of rain beforehand and so things were a little softer than we're used to seeing at a normal U.S. Open and this course was not like a lot of past U.S. Open golf courses. There was some criticism about it but do you think it held its uh, held its guard? Oh absolutely. You know we've got to realize that was a par 72 golf course and most U.S. Open golf courses are par 70 or par 71. So we gave them four par fives which again talking about how far they hit the ball that gave them four more birdie opportunities uh, over the two I guess two more birdie opportunities per day and so yeah I I was be expected and again I think if the weather conditions would have been different we would have seen lower scores uh, you have quite a history here I'm switching gears here a little bit you have quite a history here of golf courses in uh, in Canada with Devil's Pulpit and Brudenell being at the top of the list but we're standing here at the uh, Ottawa Hunt Club where you've done quite a bit of work and this will be the site of the CP Women's Open tell me a little bit about the work you've done here well I was very very pleased that the membership would trust me to come on to what uh, had the basic skeleton of a Willie Park golf course and allow us to move the driving range uh, and with a repercussion of moving a few more holes. But I believe that we've changed the greens, we've changed the bunkering, we put it down to the original strategy, uh, but produce it in a modern context. So I think that what we have is sort of a retro golf course, but it'll play to modern equipment. 
When you come into a golf course that has a historic designer behind it, whether it be Stanley Thompson or mm -hmm. Willie Park or Donald Ross, how much do you try to be authentic to the original design? Well, um, I study the old maps. I look at all the features that were original as much as we and try to save those as much as we can uh, but really the heart and soul of the golf course is the routing and so I really don't like to change the routing that much as it turns out at, at uh, Ottawa Hunt by moving the first hole over against Hunt Club Road was exactly what Willie Park had way back when so we were actually solved a problem by being true to his original routing how about the design business these days? I know there's fewer golf courses being built. Are you doing a lot more modification work or, I don't know, res restoration, renovation work than you are in terms of building new courses? Oh, absolutely. There's only about 20 new golf courses that are going in in North America, and we're seeing about 200 a year that closing. And so golf is still not a really good investment, but the people who have golf courses realize the asset they have and are upgrading them uh, to meet uh, the market demand. So just about all of our work is remodeling. And it's actually a lot of fun to do that because you have to look at the original strategy, rethink it, and then try to put it back. I know also some of the uh, your background is in, in terms of being environmentally friendly when you're building your designs. And I remember there was a, a course you have out in Cape Cod that was especially yes. built that way. Is that more and more in demand? Are owners or builders, when they are building courses, looking at that? Oh, absolutely. This this whole theme of sustainability is getting more important, not less important. And by sustainability, Bob, what we're really looking for is a golf course that uses less water, fertilizer, pesticide, and energy sources, but is still market competitive. So as competitive all the other golf courses around it, it just needs fewer inputs. And that is becoming a higher and higher priority. Always great to talk to you. Thank you for your time, and congratulations on getting two National Opens in one year. Oh, thank you very much. And you know, I was very fortunate because they played the Senior Open at Scioto last year, and that was one of our remodels. <laughs> so You're on a roll. I'm on a roll. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks.